It's, it's 12 to 13 years. I had a guest on my boat this week uh, that was a big fan of the show. And, yeah, I, uh, I think it's going on, yeah, probably 13-ish even. I'll tell you, yeah, Terry, I, uh, I've been pushing the limits on guiding. I got a, a little bit of a broken rib. I, I am feeling my age on this Saturday morning. So I uh, talk about 150 years. It feels like it. <laughs> a broken rib, cracked or actually broken or uh, unfractured. Well, how did you do that? Uh, I took a took a wrong step. So you know I'm yeah. a military. That's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me about old. <laughs> uh, I tell you, 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 know, can... you know how I know fishing is so good right now, though. We're uh, we're doing you know 100 fish days right now on the front range for walleye. 120 fish days. Uh, you know when guys are really good at the hook set. I tell you, you feel that rib every time you net one of those fish. So uh, you know when fishing's good when you're uh, a little beat up after the day on the water. But fishing is good. Weather is great. And, you know, Tay, you know I'm a positive person, right? Yeah, I'm not one to, to dwell on anything. And well, I know we keep talking about drought and, uh, you know, not enough water. But I'll tell you what, as a walleye angler, I don't know anybody out there that would prefer to fish high water versus low. Low water stacks those fish. And this is that key time of the year where every year this is your best fishing for numbers. Not necessarily big fish, but of the entire season, if you just want to catch the most fish possible, that late May, June, and early July is that time period. You mix that time period with low water, and I'll tell you what, Terry, fishing is absolutely gangbusters right now. Well, you're talking about something that when I worked within fishermen for years, we used to classify as the summer peak where the water is warm. The walleyes and the bass and the, the warm water species are pretty much getting done spawning. And the bait fish are starting to spawn, but there aren't a lot of young of the year bait fish out there. So you got these hungry fish that the water's getting warmer, their metabolism is higher, they're recovering from the spawn, they're ready to eat, but there isn't as much food as there will be in just a few weeks. And you're right. You don't get the big, the big fish can take advantage of last year's shad a lot easier and they'll feed at different times. But boy, when this bite is on, uh, there's just a number of ways to catch them too. There is, Terry. That's what we're kind of going to go over today. Just, I mean, even though fishing is great right now, and honestly, almost everybody is having success, I want to talk about the ways to catch more fish. So, you know, we're going out there. I keep mentioning that we're having 100 fish days and you know, we're using clickers. I mean, fishing is, is fantastic. When I get to the boat dock and anglers are saying, oh, yeah, 15, 20 fish, um, which is still an outstanding day. But I want to talk about the ways, the, the little things of how we're catching more fish on the day-to-day. So almost uh, a troubleshooting, you know, here's some of the flaws that we're going to see. So, you know, we'll kind of go through each technique and kind of talk about it. But number one, the first thing we're going to talk about is live bait rigs, Terry. So when it comes to your average like Lindy rig, you have a sliding weight or a bottom bouncer, you know, four or five feet of leader, and let's just say a hook in a leech or a hook in a piece of a crawler, as basic as you can get. You know, on that rig right there, what the, the biggest concepts that people are missing, number one is hook size. You know, we talk to anglers and you look at their live bait rigs, and they're using a size two octopus hook or a size four, um, which, you know, isn't necessarily oversized for the size fish we're catching, but more so for the technique of live bait. So you throw that nice, lively leech or a half a crawler or a full crawler on that big four or size two hook, and that hook is now dragging bottom. 
that that live bait can't wiggle with that hook. That leech can't swim. It is literally just getting drug along, and it presents a very unnatural look. Um, and again, those starving younger fish will take it. Those bigger, more mature fish look at that and immediately know something's up, something's wrong, and they tend to avoid it. So, number one, hook size. You know, I actually, on all my live bait rigs, I'm using a size 8 octopus, which is extremely small. And people look at that, you know, they first get on the boat today, they're like, man, it's a small hook. What are we going to do with that? Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, when you're sitting there with, you know, hundreds of fish, they're like, man, that worked. And it's all for the fact that my hook is concealed in my live bait, my leech, my crawler. That worm can wiggle around. Those leeches can swim. Um, so by having that smaller, real light wired hook, it allows my live bait to have a natural presence. And at the end of the day, drastically increases your overall success rate uh, of catching fish. So on the live bait side, that's number one tip. Number two, line size. Very similar to the hook. I see anglers out there using, you know, 12 and 14 pound mono. Now, if the bite is just gangbusters and you're getting snagged a lot, maybe do so. But on average, I start my day with six or eight pound mono. Now, if I'm catching so many fish, the fish are chewing through it and the fish will let me, you might be able to use 10 pound. But on the average day, lighten those leaders up. You that six to eight pound mono, nice and stretchy, nice and loose and light so those fish can, that, that live bait can swim around um, and you're going to catch a lot of fish with that. Now, as I mentioned, I said mono and I think so many anglers hear the term mono and they're like, man, Nate, you're old school. And I think so many anglers overlook certain things. And I mean, everybody knows that I'm a huge proponent of mono, but I'm like live bait rigs. You know, if you use fluorocarbon, which the average angler, that's their first step in going to, that fluorocarbon sinks. As you're dragging that live bait, you don't want that live bait on the bottom. You want it up swimming three, four, six inches off bottom with that natural presentation. And that, that fluorocarbon does not allow that. That nice light mono, very kind of neutrally buoyant, it really allows that live bait to, to, to or give your line that the opportunity to have that live bait have that natural presence. And again, at the end of the day, catches you more fish. So smaller hook, lighter leaders, monofilament leaders, and those are kind of the two biggest tricks to, to live bait rigging. They're going to increase your take. The third step with live bait, Terry, is don't overset the hook. Everybody on a live bait rig wants to do this big monster you know, hook set, and a live bait hook set is very similar to a slip bobber. It is nothing more than a sweep. You want to rotate that hook to the upper jaw uh, and top jaw the wallet. So with your live bait rigs, it is not a fast, powerful hook set. It is very much a, a sweeping, lighter hook set. Uh, and if you combine those three tips right there to your average live bait rig day, more and bigger fish at the end of the day. Well, you know what? I, I couldn't agree more. I was going to ask you about line if you hadn't brought it up. <clears throat> and I think that's a huge key to getting the mono down there. People are so worried about seeing the line there if the bait isn't doing the right thing it doesn't matter and the hook set too <clears throat> we used to have a a way we'd win beers from our our buddies out in the water where we especially bottom bouncing but you know you want that nice just tightening the line kind of hook set uh we used to watch our buddies rod tip and when it bounced we'd say you got one and they would immediately snap the rod and pull a hook oh, out yeah. of its mouth. We win a lot of beers like that. But you're absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with what you said. 
Now, as we move forth, the technique kind of thing, this is that time of year, again, when the walleyes are so active, so aggressive, um, that when I want to catch maybe bigger fish, my go-to is to go even shallower than I'm doing the live bait rigging, and I go start throwing jigs. Now, if I throw a curly tail, a lot of times I'm going to be kind of, you know, not forced, but a lot of times I will tip a curly tail with live bait, tip it with a leech, a half a crawler, um, which isn't a bad thing to do. But for me, that's kind of a colder water presentation. Uh, my go-to this time of year is a paddle tail uh, or like a little mini swim bait. So I'm running a three-eighth ounce head on a three-inch paddle tail, and I can louder, or it allows me, I should say, to fish that bait kind of shallower. So I'm doing a lot of my live bait rigging that we just talked about you know, in 10 to 15, 10 to 16 feet of water. But a lot of times midday, let that sun get high in the sky, totally opposite of what you think, and go throw those paddle tails in five, six, eight feet of water, uh, and it'll blow your mind how many fish you catch and the size of the fish you catch. That paddle tail puts off a lot of noise, vibration. The fish can find it easily. Uh, it puts off a very nice profile of a, of a food that they can feed on, um, and, and they go crazy for it. So... Right now, I would say that the availability to drop the live bait, go with 100% artificial technique of throwing that, that jig in form of a paddle tail, uh, it will blow your mind again. The, the numbers of fish, the size of the fish uh, that you're going to catch with that. So, again, it's just one of those techniques that I don't see near enough anglers doing. And, you know, when I get to the boat dock and you're cleaning fish and everybody will be complaining that they caught 60 fish and only one keeper or two keepers, uh, if you are that angler... Go have fun. Go out in the morning, catch a pile of fish, or go out in the afternoon, go catch your 50, 60, and have fun with it, and then grab that paddle tail, go shallower. You're not going to catch as many fish, uh, but you're going to find those keepers that you're looking for uh, in those scenarios in that shallow water, the fish that have been under pressure, the fish that have not been kind of cold through, um, and that's kind of that winning technique. As far as the, the little nuances that make you a more successful jig angler, number one, a heavy jig head. When you're fishing that paddle tail, you want to hop it up, swim it back down, but you want to have control, a nice long cast, and you want to feel what that jig is doing in every scenario. Um, you know, so many anglers are fishing that eighth ounce, that quarter ounce, go with the three eighth ounce. Even in five feet of water, I promise you, the weight is not going to cost you any bites. All it's going to do is give you the ability to have control, and control of that jig is going to get you more fish at the end of the day. So, number one, Put on a 3 8 ounce jig head. Give yourself control. That's going to help you catch fish. Number two, when I hop that jig up, don't hop it too high. The average angler is hopping their jig, you know, 15, 18 inches off bottom, and all you're doing is taking it away from the fish. The fish are literally laying on bottom, honed in, hunting those fish, the, the prey fish down or the, the, you know, the, the bait fish down. So only hop that jig 6, 8 inches. The more you keep that bait in their face, the more fish you're going to catch at the end of the day. So only hop that jig six, eight inches. Watch your rod tip. Control yourself to do those little hops. And when you get to the top of the hop, so you hop your jig up, hold your rod tip there and make that jig swim. Ninety percent of the you know drop their rod tip and allow that jig to just plummet down. If you want to catch more fish, hop it up, hold the rod there, 
make it have a nice pendulum down, uh, and it's that slower swimming motion down and almost that forward swimming motion that's going to get you more bites at the end of the day. So if you want to be a more successful jig angler, number one, go shallow. Number two, up the size of your jig. Number three, have control of that jig. Hop it shorter and make it and force it to swim down. And those are the things that at the end of the day are going to fill your boat with limits of walleye uh, that seem to be so elusive for so many anglers. You know, I have a, a real, con- I have to admit a failing of mine. I don't do this on the air very often, but, <laughs> but I was, I was hesitant to go to the paddle tails on jigs for many years. I was always yep. thought of a jig to me was a finesse bait and I put a gulp minnow or a straight tail piece of plastic on it and try to get them to eat it. And they still do. You get some finesse, but that paddle tail, when you're letting it drop like that on that heavier jig head, actually gives you a reaction bite and allows you to cover water a lot quicker. It does, Terry. And, and I got to say, I'm not that guy that, that uh, I was very similar to you. I definitely was not first on the bandwagon to the paddle tails. You know, I was a curly tail grub tipped with some bait, uh, you know, and I went through those same type phases. I, I went through a major phase of the flukes, but at the end of the day, the results that we're doing on the paddle tails is second to none. And I, I'm pretty open-minded in regards to trying other things especially in a guy i got three or four guests on the boat you know i'll run one presentation then run a second i ran one paddle tail flukes i ran curly tail grubs i ran a lot of stuff and at the end of the day very few are keeping up with that paddle tail that paddle tail again just for the opportunity to have you know the the noise the vibration the bigger presence you know, you have a lot of cool stuff with uh, great coloring, ribs on the bait, uh, and it is a, a great bait. And honestly, it's fairly easy to fish simply for the fact that you can swim stroke it. You can swim it just up bottom. It gives you a little bit more opportunity than some of the more straighter, stiffer baits, uh, and it catches fish. If you're getting out there, perfect your live bait rigging, do the little tips to your jigs, and I promise you those are the things that are going to catch you bigger fish when you're on the water. And I know we got to go, Terry, but last thing, we have our catch rate event coming up this Wednesday. Our last Wednesday's event two weeks ago is one of our biggest attendants. We would love for all the listeners to listening right now, come give it a try if you've never heard of it. It's it's called Catch Rate. It's at Chatfield Reservoir. It's $20 per angler, per species. We feed you pizza for free at the end. So we have pizza, we have drinks, uh, so we have all the food provided at the end of the event, only $20 to enter. We pay out cash. Uh, first place also gets a hundred dollars Bass Pro Eagle or uh, Bass Pro gift card. We also get a hundred dollars to Eagle Claw. And this week we're doing extra prizes for some TFO rods. Uh, it's a head-to-head. So we're drawing two names from bass, two names from walleye, two names from trout, and those two anglers are going to fish head-to-head for additional prizes. So it's a big week at catch rate. You don't pre-register. You just come to Chatfield. Uh, you check in between three and four p.m. on Wednesday. Uh, we'd love to have everybody out there and check it out. All right, my friend, we've got to go, but thank you. Great stuff as always, Nate. We'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right, we're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to talk dog training right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. When does mission... You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. This segment is brought to us by our good friends at Elkwood Insurance. Sean Early says he knows how important your time in the outdoors is, so why don't you go outdoors and let him shop your homeowner, auto, and all your other uh, types of insurance, and he'll take care of you. More on them later. Let's go to the phones. And joining us from Hideaway Kennels, 
is Ben Garcia. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Terry. How you doing? I'm doing great. Now, you're kind of southeast of us. We're going to hit 100 degrees at my house today. What are you going to get? I think we're going to be like high 80s, so which is pretty warm. <laughs> it's pretty warm. Now, you and I talked during the week, and one of the things you wanted to talk to people about was a lot of people want to get puppies, especially hunting dogs and things, but there's some pitfalls, and you kind of wanted to give people some heads up on how to avoid those pitfalls. Is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, for sure. I mean, we can go down that avenue, which is, I think, a good conversation to have. So tell me, what should people look for? What should they avoid? I want to get a puppy. How do I start? What do I do? What don't I do? Right. So the, the main thing you want to do is first is define what you want. You know, do you want a family dog? Do you want a family dog slash hunting dog? You just want a hunting dog you're not going to hunt and want a pet. You know, those, those are all good things. And then from there, you can start looking at breeders and um, start doing some research of, of who you're going to look for. And, and I think that's the main thing people don't pay attention to is they get really excited to get a breed. They, they don't pay attention to it. They get on the Internet and, and read these stereotypes about stuff, and sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad because it eliminates a breed. That could be really good for them, but they read one bad review on it, and, and that review, as you know from the Internet, could be somebody that had no idea what they were doing with that breed, and, and it could be a great breed for them. But I think the main thing is once you get the breed, or you know the activity you want than the breed, then you start looking at breeders, and and I think that's a really important step. A lot of people make mistakes on. Yeah, I mean, there's so much information out on the internet. It's hard to go through it, and even when you look at reviews, so many companies put their own reviews up, or they have, or they put bad reviews on their competition, or you're like you said that everybody on the internet wants to be an expert, and there's no vetting of how much information they have. So you have to be careful in your research and really understand the breeds. Are there any particular sources that help define the breeds that you're aware of, or is it just spending the time? I I think one thing to do is, um, I mean, and I've done this on other breeds I've gotten into is, is call the breeder, which is great. Talk to the breeder, email them, contact them. But the other thing is, is call a trainer that's training dogs for that breeder. You know, that's going to be the bigger end is the back end. You know, is, is that dog trainable? Is, is Are they breeding dogs that are easy to work with? Because the last thing you want to do is buy a hunting dog because two people have buddies that hunt together and decide to be a good pair. I mean, there's so many genetic studies and genetic things to look at of, of pairing dogs that most responsible breeders should be doing of, trying to better their genetics, not just have two dogs have puppies so they can get a pup. You know, and I think that's the bigger thing is if you call a breeder, or excuse me, a trainer, you're going to get the back end of that dog. Like, hey, I got some of their puppies in. They're easy to train. They were socialized, you know, X, Y, Z. They were healthy. You know, those are things a trainer is going to give you the aspect on if you're going to have the dog trained that I think is important, no matter what breed you're getting into. Now, you're saying more it's, The breed is important for characteristics, but the genetics within that breed that a particular breeder has can be even more important. Yeah, yeah, genetics are everything. I mean, I mean, you can, you know, I mean, and that goes into things like picking a puppy out, which is where ninety-eight percent of people make mistakes because they're they're making an emotional purchase at that point, and they're not making a genetic purchase at that point, or looking at genetics. Genetics are everything. 
you know, that go into it. And also there's the nature versus nurture. And, um, and, and we can go into that of how to pick a puppy, but that's where I see a lot of people make a mistake on picking a puppy is they go, Oh, I want the most dominant one. I want the most dominant one in the litter. Well, puppies change day to day. I mean, we've had people come to get a puppy in the morning and think like, man, that dog's really wound up. And then in the afternoon, it's just dead asleep. And the really reason why that dog was excited is because it hadn't eaten yet that morning. And it was just excited for food. It wasn't that it was a dominant dog. It's just that that activity level of where it was at that day. And and I think that's the bigger thing that that I kind of wanted to talk about is don't go into picking a puppy thinking you know everything because you got on the internet. That breeder is going to know way more about that puppy than any generic test you think you write about on the internet of what to do. I mean, if it's a good breeder, they've been with those dogs in and out all day. They know how they interact with each other. They know tendencies based on the parents they can see. But we see one all the time that just drives me crazy. And it's one where people want to take the puppy, flip it over on its back, see if it's dominant, and then pick from there. And, and that's literally, with not being rude, the dumbest thing you can do. Because that dog, for two things, it's, it's the rest of the litter mates in that place, and it's, it's, it's been imprinted to stand up for itself with that litter and to, and to play with that litter. And you're putting it on its back at a vulnerable place where it has confidence. And, and psychologically on a puppy, that's, that's very damaging. And the other one where we don't like it is, you know, where that puppy's been in that area, we've been clicker. Are you there? Did we lose you, Ben? Jake, did we lose Ben? Yeah, we lost Ben. All right. Well, we'll make it up, Ben. He got most of his points across, so we'll get him. I'll tell you what, this segment is brought to us by, um, Elkwood Insurance. Let's go to Sean Early with us. Let's go to Sean. Sean, are you there? I'm, I'm back on, Terry. I'm sorry. I oh, don't you know are. Why okay. All right. Yeah. We'll finish yeah. with Ben, and then we'll get to Sean. Okay. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry about that. So what I was saying is, you know, for like us with our pups, you know, like we have them in a place where we've clicker trained them, we've pet them, they learn to come up to somebody, somebody gives them a treat, all is safe with other humans. And then you go to pick a puppy out, and that dog comes up to you thinking it's going to get a treat, and you flip it over. Not a good thing in starting a relationship with the dog. So I, I think the main thing is when you go to get a puppy is, is ask the breeder, like, how do you measure puppies? Like, what are you looking at? How do you pick? You know, here's what we're looking for. Which one do you think would work for us? Because the test that everybody does to flip that dog over, if you read back on when they designed it, it should never be done at a place where that dog's familiar. I mean, that, that, that test has seven other steps in it that nobody reads into and they ignore it. So I think like me and you always talk about is, is talk to the source and ignore the internet because the source is going to be way more important of, of where you're getting your information on and picking a puppy than something you read on the internet, which probably is somebody that has way too much time and not enough experience in it to write it. So. All right. All good points, Ben. We are running out of time here, but if people want to get a hold of you for more information or have you trained a dog, how do they do that? Yeah. Yeah, they can find us on the on the web at hideawaykennels.com or on Facebook at Hideaway Kennels. All right, my friend. We will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Terry. Have a great one. Enjoy enjoy this warmer weather. It's not there. All right. So we're waiting for a call from from Sean at Elkwood Insurance. Uh, Elkwood Insurance is our new partner in the insurance industry. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Sean's an act avid outdoorsman. In fact, he was going to give us some tips on fishing Stanley Lake. He went out there and he actually uh, 
he actually went out. He does a lot of kayak fishing, he told me, during the week. And then he went out to kayak fish, and they found a great smallmouth bite from shore and ended up catching their fish from shore at Stanley Lake. So we kind of wanted to talk about how, how Stanley Lake, how he loves that water. And they were using gulp minnow and a, um, <clears throat> and a jig head. Now, the insurance tip that uh, Sean wanted to leave with us this week was that uh, he, what happened at the Marshall Fire, a lot of people didn't realize that they were underinsured, not the, maybe the sale value of their house, but the replacement because the products to build a house have gone up so much. So Sean is always willing to do free evaluations of your policies at any time. He's an outdoorsman. He's a partner to the show. I'm sure something came up today. We'll catch up with him again in another time. But if you want to get a hold of Sean, just go to elkwoodinsurance.com and tell him you heard about him here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to take you up to Colorado Clays and talk a little shooting on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors and 104.3 The Fan. Got you down and the world is crashing all around. You can always count on me. All right, you're listening to Chepard Wickstrom Outdoors. Count on me is a song by Wickstrom and Doberth. You can stream by just searching us on on uh, social media or your favorite streaming service. And somebody I hope who always can count on me are good friends from the number one public range in Colorado, Colorado Clays. J.R. Pierce. Good morning. Good morning, Terry. Hey, if you ever need a backup singer, let me know, as long as I can do it remotely. Do you know one? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want my face associated with my singing skills. Let's just go with that. Well, let's just say I don't want mine either, but it's because of my face. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll stay off of that one. Hey, <laughs> watch it, pal. Hey, what's going on at Colorado Clay's? Well, you know, Terry, and I really wish you were here, Terry, and I'll tell you why in a second. So Colorado Clays is hosting the Colorado State High School Trap Shooting League Championships today. And I have high school kids from all over the state out here with their friends, their families, their coaches. And, Terry, I'm telling you, these kids are so dedicated to their sport, so proficient at it and so safe doing it. It's amazing to watch them, but the reason I wish you were here because I think you and I could probably both take our dove hunting game up a notch just by watching these kids show off their skills. It's truly amazing. You know, it, it really is amazing how how young kids. Uh, you know what what happens? A lot of women, a lot more women are getting into shooting. A lot more families, and of course, Colorado Clay is a great place because you're safe family atmosphere. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But a lot of people are getting their kids started and shooting earlier to teach them respect from firearms. But they go into it without the bad habits you and I developed before anybody tried to help us. And exactly. It, it, it really, you really do. If you can start with a clean slate, it's so much easier than trying to correct things that you've learned wrong over years, isn't it? 
Absolutely, Taryn. That's why it's so important to get our kids into these sports at an early age. Because, again, all these teams have their coaches. Colorado Cloys, of course, offers the training areas. It does 4-H. We do Boy Scouts. Uh, we do college. We do high school. And getting those kids out there and learning to do things properly and safely is really what it's all about. And it just carries on throughout uh, their entire lives. And it's really a pleasure to be part of. And you can do virtually every discipline of shooting out there, can't you? Well, of course, Terry. Yeah, we have. Uh, well, let's just start here. You know, being Colorado's premier public access shooting facility, we literally run tens of thousands of people from our region through our facility each year, Terry. And and they're coming out to enjoy recreational shooting activities, whether it's rifles, pistols, or shotguns. And they can do so in the multitude of disciplines that Colorado Clays offers, multiple disciplines and formats, um, and whether that be... Um, um, individuals, whether that is friends and family, whether it's events, um, Colorado Place has it covered in a very safe and very uh, educational opportunity. So really proud to be part of that. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You offer a lot of classes at Colorado Clays, and I'm a huge advocate of if you're going to do take on the responsibility of owning a firearm, you need to take on the, re the responsibility of being properly trained and understanding. And that starts with safety, doesn't it? You guys just really promote safety out there. Yeah, and you're right, Terry. And, you know, when it comes to safety, I mean, literally, automobiles and firearms have a lot in common in that safe handling is achieved through a combination of education, opportunity, and experience. And that is where Colorado Clays is such an asset to the firearms owners of Colorado. And Terry, really, no matter what firearms activity you choose to enjoy at Colorado Clays, you are doing it in a safe, controlled, and educational setting. So whether you're preparing for a hunting season for birds or big game, you're getting range time for your accuracy and such. You're, uh, you're getting familiar with your firearm and safe gun handling experience. And as you know, it's always good when you take to the field to have those skills. Uh, if you're coming out by yourself with your friends and family and one of the events like we just talked about, Colorado Clays hosts uh, just a multitude of those, and you will enjoy that in a setting that always promotes proper and safe handling of firearms. And, of course, as I've always said, Terry, we have the finest most experienced and certified staff in the industry. So there's really no better way to become educated in safe practices than to sign up for one of our classes, our clinics, individual instruction, uh, whatever it might be for whatever activity interests you. Well, you know, another thing about the training aspect of firearms, learning to operate your firearm and understanding the manual of arms, which is its operation, its safeties, its trigger and all that, just knowing and understanding, being comfortable with that, you're going to act safer and not do thoughtless movements. Education is so important in understanding not only the ability to use a firearm, how to use it properly for whatever reason you're owning one, but also it teaches you respect. Um, respect for firearms, to me, um, there's an old line from the Spider-Man movies, that with great power comes great responsibility. And respect and responsibility in owning a firearm come from being around responsible people who are firearms enthusiasts, but
but understand the safety and responsibility. And those kind of things, when you shoot at a facility like Colorado Clays, they rub off, they become second nature to you. Absolutely, Terry, and that's a really good point because when folks come out here, they get familiar with their firearms. They get uh, comfortable with operating them in a safe manner and being around other folks. And one thing, when somebody is knowledgeable, when somebody understands the capabilities, they can pass that on to other people, and uh, it just becomes more and more ingrained how important safety education is and the opportunity that Colorado Clays offers anyone regardless of your skill level regardless of what type of firearm you have or want to get and regardless of what game you decide to play uh, Colorado Clays has it covered and it's public access so everybody has that available to them with a simple trip to our range All right, my friend if people want more information about what you offer how do they find you? Terry, please give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Everything you need to know is there. Take the virtual tour, see our facility, and by all means, get in touch with us and uh, come out and have some fun. All right, my friend, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, Terry. You bet. That's uh, JR from Colorado Clays. Let's go back to the phones. I think Sean Early was finally able to join us. He had a family matter come up. Good morning, Sean. Hey, good morning, Terry. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Glad you could finally make it. That uh, I was just touting how much we enjoy spending time with you. <clears throat> and I wanted to share your Stanley Lake that you and I talked about, but I don't think I did it justice. You, you'll go to Stanley Lake quite a bit, don't you? Yeah, it's uh, one mile from my house, so uh, we, we spend a lot of time over there. I have a paddle craft pass. And uh, try to do as much fishing over there as I can. Now, Stanley Lake actually produced the current walleye state record, which was over 18 pounds. Are there still big fish in there? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Since the boating went away, I think that the pressure has really gone down. And I think that possibly the next state record will come out of there. Yeah, that's a great lake. Now, you can't put other boats on, but you can put paddle craft. Is there a process or is it open to the public? How do you do that? Yeah, uh, Stanley Lake's open to the public. It's Westminster Recreation, so your state parks pass won't work. Uh, For paddlecraft, it's $10 per craft. They do a decontamination spray and it's hand launch only. And But you went out there just recently to take your kayaks out. You do a lot of kayak fishing. In fact, you gave us a report from John Martin Croppies. It was fantastic. But you ended up getting some bites on shore when you weren't even out in the kayaks. They ended up catching almost all your fish from shore that day. It was smallmouth, and what did you use to catch them? Uh, I just rigged up a uh, like jig head with a gold minnow for my daughter, and she was just doing some cast- casting practice, and all of a sudden she's like, Dad, I got one, and we ran over, and this fish was jumping, and sure enough, as soon as uh, we released that one, everybody else grabbed the same rig, and they were catching small, smallmouth bass, but nonetheless, they were smallmouth. A lot of fun. You're an avid outdoorsman and getting out with the family, and it's always fun when you see them catch one. But I want to switch gears on you real quick. We got a minute or two, Sean, and you're our new partner in the insurance industry. So uh, I, one of the things you and I talked during the week, and you kind of wanted to talk to people about their level of home coverage. Yeah, that, that is correct, Terry. Uh, a lot of people these days are finding that their um, 
reconstruction costs on their home insurance or the dwelling A coverage is not high enough. And that's just due to the the value of homes going up, the cost of materials going up. um, And it's unfortunate a lot of the Marshall Fire people found that one out the hard way. Now, if I'm looking at my policy as a novice or not an insurance expert, is it easy for me to tell or can I understand it or do I have to get to an expert like yourself and have you evaluate my policy? It's probably best to have an insurance agent evaluate, uh, evaluate your policy because uh, we run what's called the reconstruction cost estimator. So we put in all the details of your home and then it spits us out a number that says the reconstruction, the reconstruction cost of this is this price. And so, and then we go ahead and insure it at that value or more. Um, we do have great endorsements that will increase your dwelling coverage by 25 or 50% at low cost to you. Now, what about, you know, I have thousands of dollars of fishing and hunting gear. Should I be putting extra coverage on that? Yeah, absolutely. We could write what's called a personal personal articles quoted. And what that does is it protects protects all your extra high value firearms, jewelry, fishing equipment, tools. We can place a value on that and insure it at that said value. And if now, anything happens after fire, you would definitely be covered on it. Now, before I let you go, if, if, you, if you're not somebody's agent, but they want you to take a look at their policy, will you do that? Is there a charge? There is no charge for that. And I would be happy to do it for anybody. Um, you can get my contact information off of www.elkwoodsinsurance.com. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Get back out there and do some more fishing. Thank you, Terry. You guys have a wonderful weekend. You bet. Sean Early from Elkwood. We're so glad to have them as partner. I'm glad he was able to circle back around and get on with us. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we'll wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wisham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Judge Dan Jay, he doesn't mean no harm, but he doesn't mind telling you he's right, you are wrong. He's reading your checks, he's taking your calls, it's the Dan Jacob show and he'll decide what the law will allow. You're still listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're going to get to Dan Jacobs in a minute, but we had to give you a little preview there. A couple of things I want to touch on real quick is, uh, first of all, follow us on Facebook. A lot of the great information that was on today's show, I will, Karen, I will. Karen will post links to those podcasts on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We also talk about upcoming events, upcoming guests on our Facebook page. We give, when we're out in the field, we give updated reports. So follow us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook um, and, and YouTube. A lot of the fishing we talk a lot about here, you know, we did 22 seasons on television and a lot of those episodes, I think about somewhere between 160, 170, I'm not sure, are on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Now, some of those we travel to. Alaska and Canada and Central America and Mexico or all over North America, but about half of them were filmed right here in your backyard. So there's lots of really, really good information out there uh, in, in those videos that will help you catch fish right here. Now it's going to be hot. Wear your sunscreen, 
You know, I wear a gaiter and a hat all the time anymore. I've had a couple skin cancers removed. I spent a lot of time in the outdoors. Um, do yourself a favor, protect yourself from the sun. These hot days in Colorado, it's so critical because our, our altitude, the sun affects you so much more quickly than almost any other place. And drownings. We've had, we're on pace for record numbers of drownings this year. The water stayed cool longer. Now it's going to start to warm up with this warm weather, but the mountains will still be cold. But uh, we've had people who, once you fall in, if the water's 60 or 65 degrees, hypothermia sets in quicker than you would ever imagine. And you just can't swim to shore. You need to have a life jacket on. Almost everybody that's drowned in the state hasn't been wearing a personal flotation device, and especially young children. But you just have to, even if you're, there were some people that slid in a river off the shore, off the bank. Young kids should be wearing a life jacket even in that. And be careful wading out. Right now, the flows are up and down. We're not getting our normal runoff, but it gets high at times. It calms down at times. And uh, sometimes I tell people during some of these times, if it's a higher flow, just leave the waders in the car or at home. Don't be tempted to step in that river. So let's make it a safe rest of the summer. The fishing is fantastic right now. The numbers of walleyes being caught in the metro area are in the hundreds per day for some anglers. A lot of people catching 15, 20. A lot going on. We'll keep you updated. The northeast should turn on pretty soon, and the northwest and the uh, s- southeast is already on fire. So let's go to the phones. Is Dan Jacobs with us? You know, I'm there, Coach, and you're mentioning all the uh, the 22 years you did fishing shows, and you know I loved watching those shows, mainly because I got to see Karen catching fish and you not, but... Uh, probably my favorite episode was, you know, everybody's excited about the avalanche right now. You had the TV voice of the abs, Mark Mosier out there, and you're such a great teacher. It was like a solid, I don't know, 30 minutes of you teaching him how not to catch a fish because he caught nothing on there, man. We did two episodes with Mosier. The first one. Um, he hooked up a bunch of fish, but he couldn't get one to the boat. It was actually tough fishing. We were on the Gunnison. It had been easy. We thought it was going to be a slam dunk for him, but he was so messed oh, up. Oh, so he was like a little kid, that, you know, oh, it's okay, Marky. Yeah, get it, get it. You got it, got to get in the boat. Oh. Like yeah, no, let, let me finish. No, yeah. So Mark, he was a little embarrassed by that. So I right. decided to take him out on a second show. And he started out when we opened the show very humble, saying he was with myself and Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop, that he was, you know, wanted to finally catch a fish on a fly rod. And and then we had some really good fishing, and, and we got him into fish, and he caught two or three almost right away. By the second half of the show, he was turning to the audience, giving fly fishing lessons. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Sounds just like him. Uh, he's a good man. Uh, yes, him and I did Saturday mornings on the fan for a long time together. That's right. He is a good man. Got me my first full-time job in radio. He's a good guy. Yeah. He um, he does a great job with the ads, too. Yes, he does. He's a good man. So, uh, do you prefer who the ads play? I, uh, well, I'm hoping the Rangers can at least stretch it out. And, you know, everybody just gave up on the Rangers. They're still in this thing. But I would prefer the Rangers. I, I am scared of the uh, the Lightning's goaltender. Uh, he's he's the best in the game, and he has the, the, the experience of shutting folks down, in the uh, especially in the finals. And, in, uh, you know, somebody was giving me the stats for him in closeout games. It's like he's given up one goal total or something in, like, a ridiculous amount of games. Uh, and we'll talk to Matt Smith in the uh, 12 o'clock hour about this. But, yeah, so I'm scared. 
Uh, the Avs have uh, you know a, a history in the playoffs of folding against hot goaltenders. So yeah, I'm a little bit scared of that. Do you think the Avs have goaltending that can keep them in a tight match like that? No, I do not. I mean, no matter who starts. No, they've shown that they do not. I, I actually, I actually like Frankie a little bit more. I, 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 I don't have a whole uh, lot of confidence in, in Darcy Kemper. So, uh, no, I actually like Frankie. Um, and hopefully, hopefully the Avs have the confidence now. I, I don't like the fact that Kadri's out. Uh, he's kind of been the the heart and soul of this team, and so I don't like the fact that he's probably out for the entire series. He might come back on the back end if it's a long series, so that worries me. All right, my friend, let me close this out so that Jake can do a, a an ID at the top of the hour, and you can start your show. All right, thanks. You're sir. listening. You bet. You're listening to Terry Wisham Outdoors. We're closing it up. We're on air every Saturday, nine to eleven. Uh, we try to get you outdoors and help you have some fun. Join us. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Weeks from Outdoors. We'll let the Eagles take us to Dan Jacobson Sports on 104.3 The Fan.